Will your child be ready for kindergarten? At Chesterbrook Academy Preschool, the answer is yes. Our curriculum offers the perfect balance of learning and play. Our teachers personalize that experience for each child through engaging activities that develop the skills they need to be ready for what comes next. Attend a Chesterbrook Academy open house on Saturday, January 26th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. To find a preschool near you, click the banner or visit chesterbrookacademy.com. That's chesterbrookacademy.com. Welcome to Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. We are a guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Join us tonight for the long-awaited premiere of Season 5 as we discuss the first gay action hero, none other than George Nader and the films of Jerry Cotton. Only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. Good evening and welcome to the fifth season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your central guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, groomed as a potential leading man and heartthrob for the Hollywood studio system of the 1950s, George Nader went from a debut in an acknowledged camp classic, Robot Monster, through roles alongside the likes of Tony Curtis, Maureen O'Hara, Esther Williams, Hedy Lamarr, and John Saxon, eventually winding up in the career-defining role of FBI G-Man Jerry Cotton in an unforgettable series of two-fisted German action films that drew equally from the Bondi in excess of the Eurospy craze and the wild and woolly vibe of the Edgar Wallace Creamy. With their gritty vibe, surprising stunt sequences, and dark undertones, these eight films even seem to draw from the contemporaneous New York City's Exploiter, while bearing enough lineage with the Wallace and arguably Mabuza films, whose recurrent director Harold Reinel helmed three entries, and whose go-to composer Peter Thomas composed the film's jaunty theme and provided most of their scoring to elevate the second-tier Hollywood expat to the second most popular film star in Germany. Join us as we return from a long hiatus to cover these highly entertaining films as we discuss the first gay action hero, George Nader, in the Jerry Cotton series. All right, and those uh, familiar tones, we should let you know that we are back after a year and, oh, geez, two months, I guess, 
we are back once again on the airwaves. So never say never again, like the Bond movie once said. So you are listening to Weird Seasons of Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we talk about Jerry Cotton on the Big Pop Online Network and Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to the kickoff of what I believe is now the fifth season of Weird Seasons at the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Those of you who have been with us for the last, oh, geez, almost 50 episodes, know that we will be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. So tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So yes, as I've said, we've been uh, off air for a bit. In the meantime, a lot of things have happened in our own lives and also in terms of the show itself. I noticed that we've had a surprising increase in posthumous audience, I guess. A lot of it coming from Desi audience, you know, the Indian continents, people of Indian derivation. So, you know, Shukriya, welcome all. I'm not sure what that was all about or what it is all about, but we've seen several people a week just jumping on board the, uh, the Weird Scenes train, if you will. Yes, welcome aboard, uh, and welcome back to the old-time listeners. And you're right, yeah, there there is an increase, according to the stats you're seeing on our Desi listeners. And if that's the case, we might, later on down the road, take a look at some of the uh, older titles, uh, the horror-oriented titles. Uh, oh, Bollywood. Easiest, yeah, Bollywood titles. But the horror Bollywood stuff, uh, a smattering of those, you know, small to yeah. ease ourselves into this thing. I know there's great interest on our shores from a, a select few. Tim Paxton, for example, I don't know if you're aware, he just put out a book of VCD covers. Yes. And uh, just looking, I haven't purchased it yet, I will. I'm just like, Wow, these movies are half as interesting as the covers <laughs> of these damn DVDs and VCDs. We might have something going. Um, and uh, so, I mean, something for us to consider. But yes, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening or liking us at least. And we always appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, on to that point, you know, there were a few Ramsey Brothers films uh, put yes. out in double features from, I believe, Mondo Macabro a few years back. And they're all quite entertaining. So at least we have six movies that are easily accessible to most of our audience to check out and discuss. I know I really enjoyed the one where there was a fellow that was running around who thought he was Michael Jackson, some little fat bartender mm. guy. I saw that. I saw that. And, and oddly, oddly enough, even though I just mentioned older titles, because they're the ones that have less kitchen sink stuff in them. Um, and by that I mean digression <laughs> uh, I, I was just looking on Netflix last night for something else and there's a ton of stuff out there uh, even their version of Marvel type things and so uh, yeah there's a whole wide world out there so we'll see but, you know. that's interesting I thought the, the Turkish were the only ones that did those uh, comic book things uh, no uh, I, I watched actually I, I recently got uh, folks this is what we do but we're going to try to do it fast <laughs> I recently got a smart TV, and the Netflix version on that, actually, when you open it up, gives you clips of the film you're about to see, which is good in some aspects, bad in others. I was like, well, damn, this just showed the whole movie I wanted to watch. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in 30 seconds. But, 
there's, you know, I just scanned over a couple of the Indian titles, and I was like, wow, look at those special effects. That CGI is not bad. So, uh, you know, it's out there, and it's, if you could feed the population, great, but let's spend 200 rupees on a, 200 million rupees on a movie. So I don't know. I can't figure it out. I'm not going there. It's a socio-political conversation for another time. Anyway, we're here with Jerry Cotton. Well, actually, one more thing I wanted to get to uh, just over the past year that we've been off since, you know, this is uh, ostensibly our first show. Uh, things that we had brought up and were like telling people, get on the stick. Uh, people actually were listening. Uh, I guess they uh, tuned into the podcast or gotten word or whatever. And labels have been putting things out that we were yes. clamoring for. Yes. Uh, the Master, that cheesy series with uh, Lee Van Cleef and mm. Timothy Van Patten. You know, the Master Salami from uh, The White Shadow. <laughs> I actually, master. I actually forced my wife to watch the first yeah. two episodes the other night, and she was pretty much cursing me out. So I'm going to have to watch the rest of that on my own, just like Martial Law, the Sam Hung series. I've been watching a lot of that kind of junk lately. Um Nashi and Franco films have been announced and are continuing to come out. I know one in particular I was really yes. chomping the bit for yes. was um, yes. Werewolf versus the Yeti, also known as Night of the Howling Beast. That came out on blue and the part of a set. More of them coming out uh, very soon. Um, yes, uh, kudos to Shout Factory there. Uh, nobody even knew they were coming out, and then, blam, there was a brief announcement, and they yeah. got two box sets. Uh, you might... I, I, I just want to add this two cents. Some people might look at you know forty nine dollars, forty five dollars as pricey. Guys, there are four or five movies in here. They've been remastered as best as possible. Um, if you're going to go off, well, I have a clothed version. I have the Spanish nude version, the Euro version. Um, the prints are nice. Uh, think of it as ten, an investment of less than ten dollars per film. Hey, I don't work for them. I'm not shilling for them, but I'm just saying. We don't know how many they pressed. As opposed to, we had a discussion recently about Arrow uh, off-air, mm -hmm. uh, who seems to be pressing less than I would assume they would for some of their titles. The Arrow stuff is amazing. Again, not shilling, don't work for them, don't get anything free from them. Uh, but they do really good work. Blow, your so blow my socks off. Problem is, if you don't buy an Arrow... Blu-ray special edition right away, and you procrastinate. Um, there's suddenly a lot of money, and then it's like I didn't get that, and that's the way it is. So uh, yeah, the shout factor out there, they're affordable if you think, well, you know, how much am I paying per film? So you know, as an example. Yeah, and there's ways to get them a little bit cheaper, you know, on sales or whatever. I know I didn't pay no 40-plus bucks for it, uh, the set that I got. I didn't bother mm -hmm. with the first one because I already had them from, you know, whatever it was, BCI years ago. Right, right, uh, right. But the second one definitely had some films I wanted, like Werewolf vs. the Yeti. And, uh, you know, I thought I pulled in about 30-something dollars, low 30s. Oh, uh, good for you. Good for you. Even, yeah, but even eBay is, is, is uh, getting pretty wise. Uh, yeah. If you're a clever eBay shopper like I am... Um, you know, a lot of stuff from Severin is out, and mm -hmm. it's also it's hit and miss. Um, and they have rights in a short window, which I just realized uh, last few months. So when they put something out, they have a short window. And so after a while, they have to pull that stuff. So yeah. I found, I'm not going to say who, there's somebody from Severin actually has an eBay account. <laughs> and I got, like, things for, like, six bucks. Yeah. I thought I was buying used stuff, and they all came sealed. Nice. Nice. And I'm like, 
after a while, I'm looking like, oh, this is somebody at Severn. And they're getting rid of their backlog, and they're even getting rid of some current titles, which is like, thank you. I'm not going to say who it is. Um, so that was quite nice. So I like the, the Franco Dracula 2, Count Dracula 2 disc set. I was like, I already have that. Do I really want to pay? It wasn't much anyway, but then I was like, well, this is really cheap. <laughs> so I got a bunch of things. You have to hit me up off air. Let me know who this guy is. So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. other things have been coming out. You know, Jalos even. It's so sweet, so dead. The, the really perverse uh, uh, film with Farley Granger as the detective uh, where this guy's going around uh, getting a bunch of naked. And I remember there being rather zaftig women, but I don't know. I mean, that, that was an old gray market print from back in the days, like when you were doing Blood Times and all that. Uh, it was, this... and I actually had a really good print of print Penetration, which was, uh, yeah, it was a really nice print, uh, which was the X-rated version, but the uh, ah. the uh, uh, hardcore stuff added afterwards. And, you know, they did a, that's one film where they did a good job. Yeah, I saw, the, I didn't see that version, but uh, the version that I had was kind of crummy and uh, several generations down. You know, obviously not from that company, from a different company. And now they put it out, I think it was Code Red or somebody. Yeah. It, you know, okay, it's not that version if you're looking for that. But it was pretty nice looking, and I was surprised to see it finally come out. So who mm-hmm. knows? You know, they make a lot of promises over there that they take forever to fulfill or don't fulfill. Uh, but, you know, I'm hoping for a few more things they announced to actually make their way, like a couple of Nashies they had mentioned. So these things have happened over the past year. People have been putting out things that we said they're never going to do it, wake up, get it moving. You know, we've seen things happen. Um, and, you know, just in terms of everything else, I mean, uh, the podcasts, uh, the other ones like uh, At Eye Level and uh, the Third Eye podcast had, you know, kind of gone off air uh, all around the same time. But uh, various things happened with various co-hosts. We all just kind of moved on in our lives and got into other things. Uh, but, you know, Third Eye Cinema, it's still the uh, WordPress site, is still going on monthly uh, with our ever-expanding music reviews. So those of you who are into uh, metal, punk, goth, you know, any sort of odd, not usual, not top 40 Beyonce, and even, uh, I would I would say not even classic rock, but we get a lot of AOR stuff from, like, Frontiers. So even if you're into stuff like Yes and whatever, you know, Foreigner and Journey, we do review all that stuff, too. So if it's coming out, uh, we get at least 100 titles a month. It's pretty much magazine-sized at this point. It has been for a while. Uh, so that's ongoing. And, you know, here we are back again with Weird Scenes. Uh, so how about yourself? Anything you wanted to plug or mention that uh, last year? As, as far as plugging anything, I, I still, well, actually, uh, again, something we discussed off air, I, I still have things that will be coming out through Wang's Chop, uh, W-E-N-G-S. They're on Amazon. Uh, it's, a, it's a big, meaty, almost three, 400-page zine. Uh, comes out through Create Space. Uh there's a color version and a less, uh, more affordable black and white version. Uh, articles, film reviews, interviews, Flotsam and Jetsam. I've been doing a lot of pink films for them. I did a big thing on Andy Sedaris. Um, I have uh, lots of things coming up uh, written for them. Um, I just have given them so much work over the past few years, and there there were some issues with the uh, 
the publisher's own lives that we kind of got a little slowed down in printing, but there, there's stuff coming out that I have written, so I recommend those magazines even if I didn't write for them. They're, they're really a lot of fun. You've seen one of the two of them. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. I was going to say, Andy Sidaris is on a sideline there. I love those movies. Uh, and also his son did a few of them, like uh, I think Jimmy yeah. Gold and things like that. Uh, they actually came out a couple of years back on a $5 disc. Yes, uh, yes. 12 movies of all Andy Sidaris. Uh, and his model was something like, you know, babes, boobs, and bombs or something like that. And they had slightly bolderized it to, like, you know, girls, guns, and guts or something. But nonetheless, I actually bought, like, a, I'd say, like, more than a handful of them, maybe about six or seven of them, and started giving them out to my friends that year. That's <laughs> so, not a bad set. That's not a bad set. Yeah. And actually, actually, I had fun with that. Uh, I sat through all of those. And, you know, some of them had, almost every, every one of them, they're not bad. No, they're, they're and they cheesy. all have they're cheesy, and they all have something to offer in terms of uh, entertainment. They have like washed up guest stars, which is great. You can see like Eric Estrada and a couple of them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mr. Miyagi there, Pat Morita's in a couple of them. You know, whoever it is, they got various people that you will recognize. Roger Morrison, uh, uh, uh. And with that, and a lot I of Playboy also, bimbos that are basically showing up there, you know, taking off their tops in the middle of you know shooting guns and doing a, a quote unquote action film. And you know they sure. are competent enough that you can enjoy them on that level, but they're also uh, ridiculous. Uh, well, and yeah. also, I, and when I do an article, I tend to really do research. Yes, opposed to some other people when going not going there in the show. <laughs> uh, I found out that a woman who appeared in four of those films, a, a Asian bombshell. Yes. That was a lawyer at the same firm I work with currently, <laughs> and she was there when I first came in. Wow. So, uh, and she was a Playboy and penthouse pet, and mm-hmm. it's dubious she may have done hardcore. And of course, she's not a lawyer anymore. <laughs> I don't know what the hell she's doing right now, but she was in a couple of Andy's movies, and I was like, "Wow, oh, she's really nice looking." And they're like, "Oh my God!" You know, I'm doing research like. She was a, at law firm redacted, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, I worked there. And I probably emailed her for, like, the kind of job I have, and she probably responded and, like, can I meet you? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was very, very interesting. Uh, one other thing I want to plug before we uh, try, try to get our Jerry Cotton into our uh, hour or minus hour slot available to us is uh, I have worked uh, in chiller theater for years I, I'm the uh, I don't know what the hell you call me uh, Q&A guy I don't know what would you call me host. the guy who <laughs> hosts yes thank you the guy who asks questions the guy who wrangles the guests actually I have a very nice uh, assistant now a guest wrangler very young lady she was wonderful um after all these years, I worked my way up to actually having somebody work with me. Uh, and so the, these things are not announced until shortly before the show. So you got to remember, you look at the Chiller Theater list. It doesn't mean I'm doing it with everybody. It's selected so and selective. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I did the recently Preep Show 2 reunion. Almost the entire everybody in the director was there. Uh, the burning, uh, nearly everybody was there. Um, Dream Warriors, uh, the third Freddy, which was a lot of fun because three of the cast members were drunk 
And we all know a live interview with Trunk cast members is good. Thank you, Holin Dockin, as well, for the theme song. <laughs> no, no, but you know, the burning, the, the I wish the director was was there. He's still around. Uh, he only made two or three films. He actually was a documentary film director. Cool thing was, for his first documentary film called White Rock, about skiing and the Sun Winter Olympics back in 1970-whatever, this guy knew Rick Wakeman from, yes, right. and Rick Wakeman did the soundtrack for this movie, and he talked Rick into doing the soundtrack for The Burning. So I actually <laughs> brought that up, and, and the writer of the film was there, and, and you know, I said, well, you know, what did you know? And it's it kind of interesting. Um, back to Dream Warriors, it was, it was great because, you know, one of the, the, the lead male guy turned to me and said, this is really going well. You know, I drank all fucking day, man. <laughs> I said, you might not want to say that into the mic. <laughs> uh, these were all filmed and, and sometimes they appear on YouTube or sometimes the guy who films them takes forever to get them up uh, so yeah they're worth a shot I don't want to toot my own horn it's a lot of work I, I, I think for the most part lately they've been a lot more enjoyable because I really try um, just to entertain the people and, you know, we have full rooms now and a larger room and uh, every convention has its ups and downs. It's you know, its issues. Uh, I, apparently, there was a monster mania yesterday that made the news. With uh, they sold more tickets than they actually could get people in. <laughs> I don't know if you know about this. Not in uh, People were upset and they were breaking windows in the parking lots. Nice. Uh, all because. All the Fred, uh, sorry, all the Jasons were there, and there was a five hundred dollar photo op. Holy crap! And so a lot of people had bought these photo ops, but they also bought tickets. But because they saw more admission tickets than they actually should have, the people who bought photo ops couldn't get in. Ugh. Wow! So I, I was looking at some stuff last night, and I'm like, wow. Mm. So. Uh, Anyway, that's what's up with me. That's what's up with him. Well, it's a synopsized version. I know. We've been and, off a year and some months. Yes. Exactly. We're trying to cram it in quickly. And I'll also say on two points there. First off, uh, those of you who are interested in going back and listening to the Edi levels, they're still up there. They're no longer at Blog Talk Radio, unlike all the other podcasts that I've done. Uh, they are over at uh, archives.org. So, you know, those of you who want to follow the link, it's over there at the Edi Level Facebook page. There should be a thing pointing it to it. Uh, or if not, you can hit us up. And uh, also, you mentioned about uh, the Sidaris films, I wanted to say. Anybody who has not seen an Andy Sidaris film, I would recommend you start with my first, which was Hard <laughs> Ticket to Hawaii back in 87. Yeah. That is hilarious. I mean, if the two blonde bimbos that are doing all this stuff don't throw you, and the fact that they walk into a ridiculous, what's supposed to be a karate school, actually run by sumos, there's sumo wrestling there, uh, and get into a fight there, of course, uh, don't throw you. Then the part where they have a snake that escapes, it's highly, it's, it's got some kind of virus in it or something. Oh, crap. no, no, yeah, yeah. It's, ra it's radioactive, and it has a key. 
cancerous a virus. Yes. yes, and it comes out of, wait for this, the toilet, which has, by the way, lighting, spotlighting coming up from inside the toilet, and dry ice fog. So it's like better than Ghoulies, the poster for Ghoulies. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, uh, was it Donna yeah. Spear was one of them? You know, the girls aren't that bad as actresses. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, if you, grading well, on a curve. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, and the curve, right. But I'm saying it could be a lot worse. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot worse. You've seen a lot worse. Oh, yeah. So going in with open mind and acceptance, amazingly, hey, these aren't too bad. Yeah, so. Yeah, so. Anyway, on to Jerry Cotton, after all. Yes. <laughs> like, rambling intro there. Uh, again, we apologize. We do ramble in the beginning, but it's been a year, so we want to give you guys a heads up. A very abbreviated one over the original recorded version of this, which is another story. Uh, <laughs> lots of technical difficulties, folks. So, anyway, uh, Jerry Cotton, basically, these are, you know, I'll give you the very abbreviated version. I'm sure you have more detail. Uh, these are a series of eight German films uh, from, I guess, the mid to late 60s. Uh, I don't know if they really drag into the early 70s, I don't think so. And they were kind of in the wake of the whole, first off, the Avengers, the popularity of that on the television show, and uh, not the Marvel, because the uh, Mrs. Peel and uh, Kathy Gale and uh, Steed's show. Um and also the uh, James Bond films and the Euro spy craze specifically that they kicked off. And in terms of Germany, the thing that they really kicked off over there was the Edgar Wallace creamies, which we had discussed in our Edgar Wallace show. So you want to go back in the dark house and check that one out. Um, they actually took uh, one of the directors, uh, Harold Rhino. He had done, I think, three or four of these pictures right. out of the eight. Uh, and Peter Thomas, who had done the theme music to a lot of those, actually did the theme uh, music for the uh, Jerry Cotton films. Nice. Uh, they also show uh, uh, star uh, George Nader, who was an American uh, B actor, uh, who I had always heard that he might have been blackballed because he was gay. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why he was working over in Europe, and he was a huge hit there. Uh, he was actually number two to Lex Barker in terms of German people, uh, you know, film stars that popularity at the time. Uh, but you have a lot more background on that, so uh, I guess we can uh, let you take off now. So go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, uh, you pretty much did a good overview. Uh, actually, the Jerry Cotton novels, uh Richard, well, the stories, let's say stories, the, the stories first appeared in 54 in German serialized uh, magazines. Yeah, remember the Giallos? They were first short stories collected in books until the whole book was about one particular story. So in Germany, they had the same thing. So 54 was the first one. Uh, Jerry Cotton eventually was written by a number of people, numerous people, it's sort of like uh, uh, if you had a collective of people writing about Bond, and you know, like you gave it one day, like Joe Smith, and like 14 people were writing a different story, but they all called themselves Ian Fleming, let's say, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, it actually happened with Doc Savage. Yep. You know, and the shadow and the spider. And it's very common exactly. with the pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very common. Um, so these stories. Um, were about an FBI agent. Uh, why did he pick down an American thing? But, you know, whatever. He's based in Connecticut or wherever. It's like the thing was anywhere USA. And so these became very popular up to the point where Finland, of all places, uh, 
also had their jury cut story. So you had them concurrently going on with the ones written uh, in Germany and the ones that are very popular in Finland. So I saw somewhere, I don't know if this is true, that over 100 writers <laughs> contributed at some point in time under a variety of pseudonyms to this Jerry Cotton thing. So the, what, we're, what I'm saying is there's a lot of Jerry Cotton stories out there. If you're multilingual, whatever. So, yes, as you said, the uh, popularity of the Eurospot, I moved the Bond films themselves, the Euro spy movies, the Erica Wallace titles, blah, 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 kind of gave birth to the films, the Jerry Cotton films, especially the Erica Wallace. Yeah. And because a lot of the people we're going we're gonna to mention and a lot of the directors did work on these Jerry Cotton films. Now, over to George Nader. George Nader was a uh, very good, classically, Hunksome, good-looking guy, uh, mm-hmm. actor. Uh, I, I mentioned to you off air or in the aborted show. Uh, very good-looking guy, a stage, summer stock. Summer stock is what you did. Uh, back in the day, Broadway was kind of dark for a lot of times. So everybody did summer stock, i.e., they went to mainly in New England. They would do theater. And then they would try to get closer and closer and closer in New York, and they kind of made a name for themselves that they were half decent. Unfortunately for George, who was good-looking, uh, but private about his personal life, he was gay. Uh, but he was never closeted, but yet yeah, I've read things where he wasn't openly out, but I think people are just saying that now. I don't think that was the case at all. Anyway, George was really uh, became really popular early, uh, besides his theater work, um, he he appeared. They tried the the small uh, studios tried to make him a name because it was classic good looks, and they put him in movies like "You're in the Navy Now," "Take Care of My Little Girl," two tickets to Broadway, you know, singing, <laughs> dancing, an occasional western. Meanwhile, his very very close friends were Rock Hudson and that whole thing there, but Rock was very tight about his sexuality. George wasn't. George wasn't out there. So what happened was, I have to, again, ascertain from a lot of things, George kept working at working at classic good looks. He wasn't the best actor in the world. He wasn't terrible, but his first leading role was in Robot Monster. <laughs> uh, yes, the movie where the guy wears the fish tank thingy and the gorilla suit, you know. Uh, <laughs> Cole, one of the worst films of all times. It's not. not. Um <laughs> I also said recently to you, I don't even think Ed Wood films are the worst films of all time. Oh, hell no. But look, look at the stuff Hollywood puts out nowadays. That's some of the worst films ever made. Right, right. <laughs> and oddly enough, oddly yeah. enough, I just saw this today. I'm sorry I missed it before. But because of George's leading role in Robot Monster, uh, Photoplay or Hollywood Reporter called him the best leading man of the year. Uh <laughs> So I guess irregardless of how that film turned out, um, they still, you know, caught on to, you know, his looks. Now, you had mentioned something, just to break in for a second, in the last show that I think got passed over here. I don't know if you were going to circle around to it or what, but that George was actually involved with, uh, I don't know if that was his boyfriend or what, or if they were just friends or what, but the personal assistant who became the personal assistant to Rock Hudson. Oh, I'm going to get to that. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So George uh, 
went back to theater and then he was doing uh, lots of TV, Hallmark, back in the days was very big, one hour live TV. He got a contract with Universal Studios, uh, like a lot of people, Jeff Chandler, who there are stories about, Rock Hudson, etc. He did not make it to leading man status, so he got stuck into a contract. And uh, quickly, what that means is your studio, in this case Universal, will try to push you as a leading man a few pictures. Those pictures don't do well. You're stuck doing small, small, small parts. Um, it doesn't matter if you're good, apparently. He won a Golden Globe in 55, most promising newcomer. Meanwhile, he's been around for five or six years already. Now, George, since I believe it was 47 or 46, he met a, he met a gentleman, and that was his partner. Yeah, late 50s, George uh, George Nader moved to TV. Uh, I actually did GD Years, The Adventures of Ellery Queen. Um, who knew, right? <laughs> uh, and various, you know, law term uh, things. He goes to he goes to Europe because uh, there are, now blacklisting was dropped by you. It's been mentioned before. I cannot find anywhere. That he was blacklisted, uh, let's just say, for being gay or being a poor performer financially in films. I believe, again, this is my thoughts, that he wanted to get bigger and better parts. Still a really good-looking guy. I think yeah, everybody knew he was gay, but I don't think that was a huge issue because he was still in, like, Team B and all these magazines like now with rock i mentioned this to you before it was like rock and doris day rock and this girl rock and that girl they're gonna when are they gonna get married these you know guys back in the 60s they had these magazines even in the 70s your favorite classically good looking tv or movie star and you know some girl woman even another actress or, or ag, uh, singer or whatever you know what are they you know they, they went on a date they went to a theater whatever George didn't do that. He did. He didn't do that. And so <laughs> he didn't play ball. So that might have been an issue. But I think at the same time, it, it just didn't work for him. You know, he tried to do these things. They, they just he didn't push through the envelope. Let's just say. So he went to Europe. He did. He did costume dramas. Uh, he even did The Human Duplicators, Richard Kyle. Remember that movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a fun little B thing. Then he gets offered the Jerry Cotton films. So we already gave you the background earlier in the Jerry Cotton films. Now, as I said to you before in another border program, I'm not sure, I, I'm, unless you know otherwise, if he was offered eight films or one or two and see how they perform. I think that's how it went. Yeah, was. yeah. Because I don't think they're going to plan out like 10 pictures and say, oh, we're going to sign you on for 10 pictures. I think these did really well and surprisingly well uh, enough for um, he has a whole career there. Uh, yeah, and a shift of color. So I'm really thinking it was, you know, pay as you play, go along. Oh, this one did yeah. well. Let's do another one. Let's do another one black and white. Let's do another one black and white. Well, these are really doing well. We're making a lot of money. Let's go to color. Okay, let's do another one in color. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how it went, which makes sense. But. Yeah, I, and before we go over to the films completely, which I'm sure we'll be able to knock out in our time slot, yeah. uh, George also became an author. 
uh, George Nader wrote a very highly acclaimed uh, 1978 science fiction novel called Chrome. Very, I've read it. Very William Gibson-esque, uh, but it dealt uh, between a romance between a man and a male android. Ooh, gay Terminator. Hey, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, you know what? <laughs> hey, whatever puts your boat in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so this, oh, his his partner. It's it's known everywhere. Is is, is named Mark Miller. Who died in 2015? Uh, George passed away, I believe, 20, 2002. Before I go on this, go off the subject. When Rock Hudson passed away, don't ask. <laughs> Rock Hudson passed away. There was is Rock the ghost of Rock in your apartment? He must be. He's not going to work chips. <laughs> when Rock Hudson passed away, he left a, a percentage of his estate to George and and his partner. So that's pretty cool, I think. Because they knew him so long. Yeah, and the partner had been working for Rock, which is part of the uh, the connection there. The so connection there. All yeah. interconnected. <laughs> so there you go. The Rock Hudson-George Nader connection, folks. <laughs> yeah. The Jerry Cotton films. There you go. And also, uh, earlier on, since you know I can't insert hyperlinks on this like I would do in uh, the other pages that I work, uh, we had mentioned not only the Edgar Wallace films, which we had covered in a previous show, but the Avengers, which we had covered in a previous show all to themselves. Uh, and Eurospy, which we are covering a show all to itself. Uh, so there's plenty of well, stuff back in the archives for those who are interested. Although not completely, because yeah. the, the Eurospy films... There's so there many. Are, there's so many. We did our best, I think, with that show. And we did some British cult TV stuff, so yes. we're talking about Jason King and whatever else. But again, mm. there's so much out there. I've seen so much since, even, our show. So... Uh, Thanks to labels like Network and such, a lot of good UK label. Uh, there's so much stuff out there. Just digging back into the archives. Forget about modern stuff or even stuff from the 80s on. This, the 70s was very prolific, as was the late 60s. So, lots of good stuff out there, folks. Yes. So we're going to go through the Jerry Cotton films. Uh, uh, our best attempt is to try to go through these chronologically, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, All right. So my notes on these. Uh, we're talking about Jerry Cotton, and I mentioned his occasional sidekick, and at least one film. He was his boss, a fellow named Phil, and he also had a recurring uh, supervisor, if you will. Phil Tucker, yes. Mr. Hyde. And I said, where's Dr. Jekyll? <laughs> Don't ask me why they named this guy Mr. Hyde. Um, well, it's not Hyde. It's Hyde. I said, <laughs> I'm going to get Hyde. Yeah. That's even better. Uh, the <laughs> Where's Matt when you need him? Uh, the color ones are generally a lot more fun, but are all filled with crazy stunts, explosions, and mayhem, including right. multiple, like, just toss-off murders of characters that have been given a fair amount of screen time. So it's almost psycho-esque. I mean, you get invested in whatever these characters are, and then, boom, they're dead. Like, what the hell? And the Snape just keep moving along. Nothing happened. Uh, they'd be quite hard-edged if they weren't so Edgar Wallace-like. And while the black and one, white ones feel much akin to a French crime picture, which we also mm. covered at one point in the show, uh, or the grottiness of a New York City something weird sex exploiter by comparison, even the least of them is still pretty fun. Uh, so the first one, uh, Murder in Manhattan, uh, was a black and white, obviously. So I said, yes. okay, it's a protection racket. Using Paul Muller as the muscle, those of you who know Franco films, we discussed Franco in three separate podcasts, by the way, uh, they're pretty low rent. Uh, they actually call themselves, without shame, the $100 Gang. Ooh. Watch out for the $100 Gang. No wonder they use Muller as a bone breaker. They, they couldn't afford a real one. Uh, 
<laughs> when Muller can't handle some old, fat, stereotypical Italian Mario look like, hey, it's a me, they send in Dolby Dickles to beat on him. Uh, you get to see how tough police science is to be before the internet. Walls of guns, drawers full of bullets, right. those kids' flip books where they drop glasses and beards onto eyewitness police sketches. Uh, the crooks grenade a kid eyewitness, but unfortunately, the kid's okay. And, you know, I love children. Uh, it fingers them. Uh, best scene, Muller gets made, so they tie him up as bait and rig the place to blow and Jerry arrives. Uh, he warns Jerry in time, but Jerry then tries to swing from window to window outside the building to save him, but the wind sets off the bomb anyway. Uh, see what I'm talking about? These characters just go, that's it, they're dead. Uh, there's a whole subplot on a girl gas station owner attendant uh-huh. who speaks right. out against the racket and gets her station blown up and a hit put on her. Uh, the racket's run by a Wallbaums manager. Not kidding. I knew that supermarket sucked. No wonder the prices are so high if they have to put out hits. Uh, after doing donuts at the series' favorite city dump, the baddie and his mom fall out and kill each other, leaving the kid in a plane mid-takeoff whose pilot is dead. So, there you go. Good start to the series. I enjoyed this one. So, what's your take on it? Did you say children were fingered or I misheard you? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't say that. Uh, Oh, the child fingered the bad guy. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the gas station (laughs) tend to finger it over the child. Uh, I was sad that the child didn't die, though, although he was in some precarious situations. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Did I watch the same episode? Okay. There was a great one. If you're, if you're, in, you're into serials, those old serials, these are still in the movie theaters, you know, weekly chapter plays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one that my hippie friend Barry introduced me to years ago, uh, which was the Daredevils with a Red Circle. Oh, and the yeah. main selling point to us and to him was, yeah, and the kid gets killed right away in the first episode. Like, yes! Yeah. Well, one thing, one thing. Uh, I see we're, we're recreating our reporter show. Uh, one, one, one thing uh, I wanted to mention is that, uh, and you touched upon this, is that uh, these are pretty brutal. Uh, it's it's a combination of kind of combination of talky live uh, programs that the American networks at the time over there, one or two of them. Was doing what life we're doing with live TV, and it's a combination of the gritty, probably best of the best at Wallace films, and a bit of the fanciful action that was in the Euro spy things. Now the Germans obviously didn't have enough money, so there was a gratuitous use of rare projection. Mm-hmm. And I, I get again had recently guessed that maybe they did send a second unit to New York, because otherwise, how could they get the shots? But some of the stuff seems to be out of focus, blurred. In some cases, it's pretty good. It matches up. It's not great. Uh, but George Nader, God bless the guy. He was, like you said, swinging on a thing. Uh, the court or whatever the thing. Um, against the glass. I mean, the guy, through the course of these films, uh, was really, if he was stunted, stunt doubled, uh, they did a good job of, of hiding it. Uh, he went through a lot of shit in this picture. And I even think he probably went go for broke on this stuff. And, um, yeah, they're gritty. They're actually full, they're full of some insane stunts. They're also full of some odd shit. Like, yeah, the kids get killed. The women get killed. Mm-hmm. Sylvia Solar is in this picture, for those who are Euro horror fans, hounds. Uh, it's a good way to start off the series. Uh, it's sort of like, I'm not quite sure if I like it or dislike it, but if you... This is a go with the flow. Yeah, right. No, we do, which is why we're doing a show on it. 
But for uh, newcomers, it's a go-with-the-flow kind of thing. And when that Peter Thomas score, brassy, but discordant and occasionally uh, jamming with certain key elements, you're kind of like, okay, I'm being forced to watch this by some reason. I like it. Yep. And you've heard that theme already in an abbreviated form, opening the show and probably closing yes. it as well. I'll probably try to edit this out if I catch it. Otherwise, it'll be behind the scenes, folks. <laughs> Uh, all right, so picking up, uh, this next film was uh, Violent Case Murders, which is also one of my favorites of the uh, of the series. I have several favorites in the series, actually. It's about half of them are really good. Jerry practically goes into a crying jag over a dead informant, seriously. Uh, matches a leather jacket with khaki dress pants, trying to play an overage JD. Uh, starts a fight in a bowling alley, apropos of nothing. Hangs with a knife-throwing Jonathan Frid clone, and looks kind of like Tony Perkins while doing it. Uh, he pretends to be a drunken ex-GI divorcee. Yeah, that makes you a good prospect for gang recruitment, right? Uh, more awful rear projection ensues as the gang comes up with a Mabuza-like plan to steal jewels from an old pawnbroker, or is it a bank? If so, why is this guy greedily playing with his jewel collection every night? And why do they keep reusing the same thug who looks like Vic Tabak? Whatever. Uh, Jerry saves a bunch of school kids and they're singing Nun Teacher from a bomb. They killed Uncle Ben. Now the service instant rice. And why is his recurring boss named Mr. Hyde anyway? So there you go. Well, I, I, I always love the, the German title, which is yeah, almost a literal translation. Schuster Isaac Geigenkasten. You know, it's like, wow, that sounds very heavy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, one thing you touched upon, which I didn't uh, this time around, uh, was the... Was that Scheisse uh, Ausdem Geigenhausen? <laughs> no, Schuster. Uh, Scheisse. Those of you who know German. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, so, uh, Mabusa films. There's also a bit of an aura of that on some of these movies, the black and white ones especially, yeah. uh, of the of the Mabusa titles. Uh, we're not going to backtrack too much here, but I just did want to mention that. Uh, yeah, so, Jerry's Rock and this leather jacket over tweed pants. Uh, <laughs> he's... Trying to be a teddy boy. Let's say teddy boy. Yeah. Know, <laughs> yes. Which is, yes. <laughs> which is really popular in, in Britain at this time. You know, and I'm sure everybody's, you know, at the time, the filmmakers really know about this. I think he was having a ball oh, by sure. the second picture. I think he was like, hey, you know what? I'm running around. I'm hanging from shit. I get, I get to not be feminine, but I get to be a little theatrical. Uh, <laughs> I get a little bit of theatrical, but I also get to be a little uh, at the top, you know? <laughs> he gets to play rough trade. <laughs> yeah, he gets, to, he gets to be the top. Yeah, you know, he comes up against these violent gangs, uh, especially in this picture, and, and they're outfitted. I, I get everybody was having fun. Who directed this fucking thing? Oh, let's see. It was, oh, Franz Umgelter. Who Fritz, Fritz? <laughs> sorry, folks. Fritz Ungelter, who did some of the lesser Eggwalls, if you ask me. But I don't know. Maybe it was flamboyant as well. <laughs> uh, the fact is, you got this guy that's like fifty years old, running around dressed half like an old man and half like a, a teddy boy or a, you know a JD. Yeah, and right, right. he's coming in with this supposed background, which is fake, by the way, just to try to get in yes. the gang. Oh yeah, I came out of the army. I'm a divorcee. What the hell kind of gangs to say? Yeah, here's a young guy I want to recruit to do my dirty work. Really? 
But what he does, but what he does to prove his worth is he becomes vicious as well. So oh yeah, the the, the, the elements that are in this Jerry Cotton movies, like I say, I mentioned the words kitchen sink before. It's like totally fucking from like what is going on here? But <laughs> that's makes it fun. Right, it's so insane. We're going with it. Um, so I, it's a high. I recommend this one a lot, oh, yeah. and and it's fun. Yep. So uh, the third one, uh, a tip not included, another black and white. This is one of the ones I didn't really care for. I, I mean, you know, none of these are terrible. And it's just mm-hmm. like comparatively, it's like eh, whatever. You can pass on it unless until you're a Jerry Cotton fan. Uh, bad nightclub jazz and yet another diamond heist. They have a weird drone-like bomb that floats under and attaches itself to a passing armored car, which they blow to bits in the middle of a highway. The bank president kills himself, and Jerry's on the hook with the public for botching security. So he takes a girl to a wrestling match, which she asked him to take her to. My kind of gal. Uh, <laughs> in the end, it's not Jerry that sinks him. It's a zoftig German Marilyn Monroe wannabe in old lady librarian glasses who is the gang mob before the betrayer uh, that blows the whistle on them. So that's all there is on that one. Uh, and I should also say, we didn't mention it this time around because we we're trying to get through it quicker. Um, these films, you got, I think about three of them came over through something weird uh, yes. under their American titles like Death and Diamonds or what have you. Uh, but the rest of them, the only way that I think you can see them and the way that I saw them was through these uh, two nice German sets that you have where obviously you can play most of them, with one exception we'll get to in a bit, uh, in English or with English mm-hmm. subtitles. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they are kind of hard to find in that respect. I mean, again, you can get three of them easily from something weird. So uh, that's a good start. I think they have the better ones anyway in a lot of cases. But, well, yes, and because you went there, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually the guy who, who wrote the uh, the backing uh, the, the back of the VHS boxes, which eventually became uh, the DVDs. Yeah. And, and keep in mind that oh, so you, uh, Mike Brainy. Right, that was a Mike Rainey connection. Uh, right. Mike had contacted me and said, oh, I, I was in a warehouse and I found all these movies. And I'm like, yeah, okay, would you do it for me? And, you know, back in those days, it was like, I get the, I, re, I get all, I have literally boxes, like 40 to 50 VHS. And I had a window of time, and as I tried it, Watch all. Well, I did watch them all, and I had to write up <laughs> all this stuff. And then it came across these Jerry Cotton. I said, "What the hell is this, man?" Um. So yeah, thank you, Mike Brainy, for introducing me to Jerry Cotton, because at the time I didn't know anything about Jerry Cotton, and of course, then I got so much into it, I had to research these things in order to write. At the time, limited information. Now there's more information available. Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, uh, it, it was a lot of fun doing those. And uh, as you mentioned, it was a DVD uh, box set put out not too long ago uh, in Germany. And they put out a single single disc versions from the same box set. The mastering's about the same. So uh, that's, that's out there, too. All right, Real so or, back to uh, tip not included. What did you want to say about this one? It's the one with the Diamond Heist and the, the Marilyn Monroe yeah. wannabe. So. Mm-hmm. Who I like, <laughs> <laughs> because that was that was Yvonne Maunlauer. Really? From yes, from Brides of uh, Dracula, I think. And Curse of the Werewolf. Wow, I didn't think that was her. She seemed kind of zoftig there. <laughs> They're blonde well, wig. <laughs> well, you know, she's pushed up. She's pushed up. You know? <laughs> it's just like, hello. Wow. 
you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, back in those days, they wore these very, I'm sure they really uncomfortable. I wouldn't know. You know, it's a very tight, pushed up kind of thing. And if you were uh, 32, you would look like 38. And if you were 36, you probably look like a 44. Yeah, what do I know? But, um, yes, and she even sings a, a Peter Thomas tune. Yes. Love is swinging in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't the only thing that was swinging in the air after this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not as much fun. Uh, Mr. High seems to be more annoying than unusual yes. in uh, Jerry Cotton films. Um, it, this bang, Walter Wheeler is in this from the Mabuza and uh, and. Uh, Edgar Wallace pictures. Uh, so there's Horse Taper, who's our gang leader. Yeah. Um, you know, Franco pictures. Uh, she killed an ecstasy mm-hmm. amongst many, 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 many. Um, I wanted to mention that Nader, or a stunt double, does this fucking Jackie Chan type shit in this movie. <laughs> where he leaps from a rooftop. Remember, this is the one with the, onto the helicopter yes. to escape a villain. And it was like, what? <laughs> there's a and lot was, of this kind of stuff in these movies. Yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot of this stuff. And and I, as I said, I, I briefly mentioned earlier, you know, uh, whether it's stunt doubles, it's really good if he has one. If not, if, I'm, if I he did not have a big shot. Yeah. Yeah, a big shot of JB. <laughs> Uh, yeah. If he is not using stunt doubles in the Jerry Cotton films, wow, George Nader was a man's man in more ways than one, because it's really incredible if you watch this stuff, especially for well, the time yeah, period. Yeah. Right, and it never actually got into because it was in the last show. I always considered, in hindsight, having seen these films, he's like the gay action hero of the yeah, 60s. Very much y'all, so. Oh, yeah, y'all, and we got, who do we got, who's our best action hero today? Tom Cruise. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> I guess all and things come around, what? eh? I'm not, I'm not making any connections because I did not use that word. Because even if that's part of his genetic makeup or whatever is going on with him, I don't care. I think the guys, this Mission Impossible movies, yeah. yeah. I saw the trailer for the new one. I'm like, I'm there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm like, all right. So he was the gay action hero of the 60s. And go all the more forward, George. Rest yep. in peace. And, you know, those Mission Impossible movies, I went backwards, because the last one came out, we saw it in the theater, I'm like, this is really good. I'm surprised mm. I was missing out all this time. So I went back, we watched the first three, and they're like, eh, really just four was the only good one. But this, I saw the trailer for the new one in the theater the other day when we went to see Black Panther. Oh, what a good film. Uh, and we were like, well, you know what? This actually looks good again. I wonder if it's going to be yeah. like the last one. So Same director, too. Yep. So, there you go. Sure. There you go. Um, so anyway, the next one is uh, trap snap. Hello, trap snap shut at midnight. Try to say that six times fast. Uh, a guy ramps his truck into a crowded showroom, 
It's a scam diversion so a female accomplice can rob a jewelry store and stuff the booty in one of those convenient bus terminal storage lockers. Uh, but the robbers also grab the truck filled with nitro and proceed to blackmail New York City for its return. The thugs seem awful gay in this one. One walks around in a see-through wife beater chewing gum all the time, but looks kind of like Andy Bell from Erasure by way of the Marlboro Man, or more to the point, men in pitchman and bisexual porn star Wade Nichols of Barbara Broadcast. Uh, the boss lounges around in the middle of an indoor wading pool, which comes with a leather recliner, phone, end table, and drinks in a pool, and he sasses his thugs by flicking water at them with his toes. Uh, he's even too fey to threaten his victims directly, so he has his thugs play telephone, repeating his questions word for word while he sits around sniffing daisies. Uh, it's really something else, people. Uh, Jerry poses as a window washer and is dumb enough to pull a gun on a room full of thugs before getting inside the room, so they slam the swinging glass window in his face. It was awesome. Uh, he's only safe from precipitous fall to his doom by the safety line, but damn it, he's going to go up there and try again. Later, Andy Bell there climbs down under the uh, George Washington Bridge to set an mm. explosive timer on a bottle of nitro they conveniently already had hanging there. Why didn't they put this on there in the first place? Uh, while Jerry follows and has a knife fight with him. Did I mention there's an old fat guy they call a doctor who climbs down this dangerous acrobat girder area as well? It looks like he's actually supposed to be bomb squad considering, but he's pretty old and out of shape with his tweed suit and briefcase. It, this is another one of my favorites for sure. So, go ahead. Oh, this is a really good one. And, and you didn't include the other oddity, which was, for some reason, they added this into the story. It's a, it's an incredibly heat wave happening in New York at yes. this time. So the, that thing with the uh, the the uh, weapon about to go off on the bridge at the end of the film could also be set off by the heat. So Jerry has to, like, snap to even more. Uh, Horst Frank is the villain in this. Everybody knows Horst Frank from numerous Euro spy films. Uh, especially the German-French co-productions. He was yes. playing the bill in that. Uh, Cat of Nine Tales, the Argento movies and that, amongst a couple of other things. And He was in, the, what was that, 13 Days to Die, one of my favorite Euro 13 spots. Days to Die, one of your favorites, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Horst could play that cat's eye kind of villain killer with a, with a hint of bisexuality really well. Um, I know nothing about the man, but uh, he really pulled that off really well. And right. in this picture, I think he's having, you know what, it's possible, it's quite possible, actually. Maybe him and George were have a kinship off screen. And, you know, <laughs> not saying no, I'm not saying anything. No, but considering how well he plays those parts normally and how much fun he seems to be having doing it here, like over the time. Yeah, yeah it's very right. possible. It's very possible. It's very possible. And they're like, you know what, let's play with this. You know, yeah. Let's play with this how we're portraying it, and uh, is and this really has, like you mentioned, the glass window thing again with the craziest stunts. Uh, Horst is above average psycho in this, yep. but yes, with with probably more of a tad of a touch of subdued femininity going on here. He's very decadent. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's good, decadent, not flamboyant, but decadent. You know, it's like probably your worst arch villains. You know, it's. Crazy ass shit. I like the hell out of this. One. Oh yeah, yeah. And, a- exact, and it's one right, and it's one that doesn't get as much play as it should in terms of uh, being reviewed. There's a couple. Uh, I just wanted to add this, and there's a couple Euro spy uh, books out there that seem to not include this title. Um, now the the thing was, a lot of Jerry Cotton movies have like 
the original German title, and then there's the English language translation, then if it got translated into English, there's a title there. So it's just people lose track of what's what, but I think yeah. a lot of people miss this movie. And it's sad because this is actually, if not my favorite, then it's right up there, like, you know, one and two with the, one of the other ones that we had either mentioned or about to mention. Mm. Uh, it, it really is loads of fun, especially if you get a kick out of that sort of thing we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so uh, next one up, not one of my favorites, the Brooklyn Murder Club. Uh, first and worst of the color cottons. It's pretty boring by comparison to the films that follow it or preceded it in the series. Uh, the best part is the fight on top of a moving train. Jerry impales some guy on a farm equipment thresher. Uh, Peter Thomas must be high because his circus fanfare score here is so inappropriate to the action on screen. Uh, a balding, nigh buzzcut sporting Paul Muller stops by for a bit part. Through the miracle of some truly atrocious rear projection, Marnie has nothing on this one, people. Jerry climbs aboard a speeding truck and holds his suit jacket over the windshield, causing a bad crash, but somehow he's fine laying there on the roof. Sure. Uh, so that's basically it on this one. Well, this this is the one, I think, with the big party, and, and, and the villains come in, they kidnap the daughter or somebody, yeah. and um, but they kill a lot of the people. And I thought that was, well, you know, because of the pictures we're talking about, uh, is that brutality again. It's like if, if you did that here, um, it would be akin to, like, those something weird black-and-white crime uh, sexploitation movies that uh, were so prevalent and not really we brought back out until uh, something weird. Mike, Lisa, put them back out again. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Germans are watching that stuff. Uh, Very possible. It's very possible. Um, who the hell knows? Dagmar Lysander's in this. Another Euro. Gucci um, <coughs> Gucci. Um, She's a woman that really liked to show off her body in the 60s, but by the time she got into the Fulci films in her early, the early 80s, you know, right. she was like very matronly. So it's it's kind of a surprise. It's worse than something like even, um, I guess a comparable one would be Yvonne Carlo over here. Where it's like, oh, yeah, she's pretty hot. Whoa, what happened there? <laughs> Same or kind of like uh, Anita Eckberg and Killer Run. Uh-huh, that's another one. That's another yeah. one. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting movie. Uh, yeah, that crazy stuff that Jerry does with the, the truck and so on. Uh, there's also a scene where <laughs> Jerry shows up. Uh, I forgot where it appears in the film. There's a bunch of models. And he has Phil there with him, and they're interviewing these 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 models, I think, because they're looking for the criminal gang. And it's so funny here. You have George and, and the actor who plays uh, Phil, uh, Heinz Weiss, um, with, with a W, so that puts German. Um, and they're in a room full of scantily clad, in color, this picture's in color, mm-hmm. scantily clad models. And it's like, they're not phased. <laughs> because it, it would have been written into the story otherwise, but we're not going there. So. <laughs> I, I think in the last version of the show, you had mentioned that you weren't really sure about George's age. And you know, I was like, oh, well, the lady never reveals her age. <laughs> so this right, is more right. of that. <laughs> yeah, we're never sure about George's age. Uh, he was, if this is correct. <sighs> no. George was supposedly born in 1921, so in 67... He's already 47 years old. He's, he's pushing the big 5-0. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, looking pretty good for that, I gotta say. Yes. Yes. So uh, next up then is uh, Death in a Red Jaguar. Now this is the one I mentioned before, the problem entry. It was never available in English, uh, but there's a big finale at the city dump, and it looks like it would have been a good one. Uh, I said somebody subtitled this fucker already, so we, I really can't honestly review it. My German is very, very limited. So uh, you know, it looked decent, but who the hell knows? And I can't really t- say anything about it other than that. So how about you? Well, this is a, again. This one's directed by Harold Reinhold, yes. and uh, for some reason, I always personally believe this would have been the last in the series. It's the only one that never got subtitled, the only one that never got dubbed into English, and um, it's also a bit of a lesser film. Uh, George, I mentioned to, the, you, to the, I mentioned this to you before. To me, George looked tired. He looked... Uh, uh, all right, yeah, so George, to me, George looked weary in this one. I believe this was the last of the series. Although, everything I've seen shows it was maybe shot in 68, but it's possible that information's incorrect. Um, yeah, he's after contract murders, murderers. It's almost like a Sopranos kind of gang. It's a little bit more lower key than we usually see in this series. You know, they're not as flamboyant, the criminals. And you mentioned it was directed by Harold Reinhold. From here on out, yes. he directs all of them, which is only two more films. Uh, again, we're not really positive about the order. They're all kind of around the same year, uh, but nonetheless. So, uh, another really good one. Dynamite in a Green Dress, a.k.a. Death and Diamonds. Uh, and I think, well, okay, it's the second color cotton, but it's the first one that's any good. Uh, so I said, cotton and color, all right. Uh, George Nader, who's gay, by the way, winds up impersonating a jazz club <laughs> pianist and winds up taking lessons from, wait for it, his mother. The Peter Van Ekmabuza film's dynamic returns. So Jerry then camps it up shamelessly for the rest of the film, pops a bag into a bug microphone, and insults the overweight doorman at his hotel before racing RC cars with a bunch of old men and butting his way into a typical evening of romance between Don and Melania Trump. It's an attempted rape, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the lead girl is scary and old like a stiffer version of Barbara Bain from Mission Impossible. Uh, even when Jerry gets in in a safe-cracking operation, he's still acting every bit the mincing queen. They even stick him in an oven. It feels like a bad episode of Mission Impossible, speaking of which, crossed with the 1966 Batman movie where they dehydrate the UN. Uh, Jerry jumps through the windshield of a moving car feet first, decks the driver, and keeps the passengers at bay at gunpoint. Uh, other than the Liberace act, this is typical cotton with wild chases, crazy stunts, and plenty of exploding vehicles and cast carnage. The baddies are ruthless, and the lead villain of the title even pulls out a whip to work over Ms. Bain. So, it's a good one. It's a good one. It is a good one. And that, that stunt through the window is like one of those WTF moments. How did they do that? Yep. Uh, it's really good. Sylvia Solar is in here who... Uh, pops up in a lot of late, I probably would say more early 70s Euro stuff, a lot of Spanish thrillers. Uh, uh, she in Lady Frankenstein? No, she's in She's in the other one with the, uh, oh, what is that weird movie where it's sort of like, it's very much. Of Freaks, that one? No, no, it's another one where a woman reanimates a killer, so it could be. Oh, you're thinking about that. Was was the French one? Um, Death's Kiss is that one? Yes, yes, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe Sylvia Solars in that. She's I like the, that one. Yeah. The, yeah, it's very twisted. So no, it's a good film. It's an entertaining movie, and it's uh, a lot of fun. 
Uh, uh, you you said he's mincing. No, he's not mincing. He's just I think well, seven it's part pictures. of his shtick. He's he's doing a Liberace yeah. act, and he's he's taking lessons from his mother, like Peter Van Eck did in the Mabuza right. films. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've got a really close dynamic. My wife actually liked the mother a lot because she was like kind of crime solving and involved in the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's uh, there's something we didn't really, as far as I can recall, we really didn't delve into with the Van Eck pictures. The Mabuza ones is sexuality, yeah. but. Believe it, that was a different series. Okay, we have one more picture. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Dead Body on Broadway. Uh, there's another good one. So, actually, if this was the close and not the uh, the one you thought did with uh, Death and the Red Jaguar, um, it was went on a good note. So, once again, Mission Impossible, Edgar Wallace style, with a crazy Peter Thomas soundtrack and Harold Reinald Dayglo visuals. Uh, an FBI agent gets killed after a gold robbery, and the perp changes his face. Did we mention a rival gang is looking for him in the stash? Cotton steps in. Terrible nightclub singing. And hey, is that Leonard Nimoy sitting there in the audience? Look, even <laughs> the Amish like this club. You have to look at the club scene when the squirrel's singing. Uh, if she's a Las Vegas casino bunny slash drink waitress, why is she a known lounge singer back in New York City? Uh, they kidnapped the brat in pajamas. And how is that scary old retiree his mother? Who the hell screwed her, much less at age 60? Uh, I like when he gives the little prick a grenade. Look, it's a toy. Play with it. I'll be right back. My kind of guy. He actually says that line, by the way. Uh, why are there karate posters under a Korean flag? Why was so many hot girls in lingerie? Did they pick the ugly one to show her tits? Lots of evocative settings and crisp photography. A visit to the city dump. And a final showdown that leaves our baby in a crusher. So, there you go. It's a good one. Did you say lots of Ivanka settings, like Ivanka Trump? <laughs> oh, God help us. Uh, there was a Melania Trump in one of the earlier ones. Uh, but no, I said evocative. Oh, sorry. I <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah, this is like, this is this was our, the comment about Barbara Bain and Milton Gilf and all that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that was actually the last movie. <laughs> that was the last movie. Uh, no, it's a fun picture. Actually, this one, there are dueling criminal gangs yes um and there's even oh herbert fuchs is in here folks mark yes. of the devil yep um um as a villain uh yes there's there's one there's one funny what's well, not funny it's odd where jerry barges into a doorway and this woman's there topless she's getting dressed or something he just catches her uh, suddenly, and he's like so straight faced, you know? yeah. As opposed, as opposed to if it would be, I don't know, somebody else and barges in the door, they would have like the raised eyebrow, that smirk, the the, the wrinkle of the of the mouth, you know, just something to show, like, mm. no. <laughs> but no, George is George is so straight. He walks in there and it's like, hey, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and like I said, there's a lot of good-looking girls in this one. Why do they pick her? Like, come on. <laughs> that was Heidi Bolin. She was. Maybe she was very popular. <laughs> she probably worked cheap. Oh, okay, I'm going to do that for five bucks. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, yeah, no. It's just uh, dueling gangs. The Costello gang. You know, no relation to have it. And, um, Who's on first? What's on second? Who's on third? Yeah, it's also about a, a another... FBI agent who was set in to infiltrate the gang who something happens to. We don't want to always give these things away. And um, Jerry then follows him. And uh, there's something to do also about $5 million in cash. Uh, 
that one gang wants a rival gang business. It gets very complicated sometimes. And, you know, back then, $5 million was like $1 million, you know, so it's... Uh, it's the cost of powers, $1 million. Nobody laughs at them. <laughs> yeah, it's not as good as the Murder Club from Brooklyn or the, the other one we just discussed, uh, but much, for me, much better than Death in the Red Jaguar. Yeah, that is a good one. And on a note to go out on, uh, before we tie it all up, there was a 2007, which is not that long ago, uh, Another shot at this of uh, Jerry Cotton. The movie was called Jerry Cotton, made by Constantine Film, the big uh, German film company, with uh, nobody I've ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> and didn't you see it tanked? It tanked because yeah. they played it campy. That's the problem. And, and um, I guess, it, I, I don't know what the stats are in terms of box office, it just did not do well. But, you know, Phil Decker was back. Mr. High was back. <clears throat> and Christ, Christian Tramitz was the, was Jerry. And Christian Ullman was Phil Decker. Not Christian. And believe it or not, there was a Christian Paul, no relation, who was also in the film as a femme fatale. Uh, but it didn't do well. And I guess they wanted to hopefully get a new series going up. Um, these are available on eBay. I've seen them. I haven't bought it because if it's supposed to be bad, why well, watch it? <laughs> so <laughs> if there were like two or three, and you know, I was thinking of like comparing them to these series, I would say, okay, but it's like a one-off. It didn't do well. So, um, so that does with Christians. <laughs> it's filled with Christians. So anyway, uh, anything else you want to close out on about uh, no, Peter no, Cotton no. or George Nader or Jerry Cotton? Jerry Cotton, not Peter. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we, we 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 hope you enjoyed the show and you will tell them what's up next. Peter Cotton? Did I actually say Peter Cotton? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, it's close to Easter, folks. Uh, <laughs> so uh, next time around, this is what I'd written when we were planning this like a year or so back, and it's been slightly. Um, I guess cemented down a bit, so but it still basically applies. So we previously discussed the life and career of one of his most famed and controversial collaborators, Oliver Reed, and now we go whole hog and dive in for the full Monty. Just pardon us if we don't wrestle in the buff. Uh, a wild visionary filmmaker, England's Ken Russell, has traversed the heights of critical approval and fame and wallowed in the swamps and sewers of their approbation throughout his long and winding career. Uh, while many would laud his efforts with Reed and takes on who-penned rock operas, who but us would equally, if not more so, both defend and celebrate such efforts as Altered States, Gothic, Horror, Lair of the White Worm, and Crimes of Passion, most of which yours truly greatly prefers to their more popularly beloved forebears. So join us uh, next time around as we delve into the classicism, phallic obsessions, homoeroticism, and all-out madness of one of Art House and Sleaze's most controversial cinematic auteurs, the legendary Ken Russell, and we'll be focusing on Ken Russell in the 80s. That's next time we do this. Yes, please join us. It'll be a lot of fun.
protection. <laughs> down uh, what Dumbo is now, the Brooklyn Bridge area. Right. You know, I, these guys love climbing. Jerry loves climbing bridges. I don't know if it's Jerry Poppins. I don't know. Maybe if I can tell you, but it's around or something. Good subtext. Good subtext. Okay. <laughs> at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you gotta have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of new age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio.
Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell as Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself, discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. 